Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Our very own Bill Simmons just released his 500th Bill Simmons podcast episode, featuring Bill Hader talking about HBO's new season of Barry, SNL stories, and favorite movies. And for the very first time, Bill is joined by a long-awaited special guest. He also just recorded a new Rewatchables episode on Fast Five with Shea Serrano. And after you listen to the Rewatchables, head over to the Winging It podcast, where Vince and Kent interview the Fast Five star himself, Ludacris, where they discuss his career, his new music, and Fast 9. You can find these episodes and much more Ringer content on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, yo, yo! Welcome to Ringer FC. I'm your host, Donnie Kwok, this post bureau chief of The Ringer. With me, as always, my main man, Micah Peters. What up, Micah? What's going on? On today's episode, we are going to talk about the grand opening of Tottenham Hotspur's new stadium, a match we just watched. Also, a little bit about the Premier League race and another sad racism incident in European football. Later, we're going to talk Der Klassiker, that's the Bayern Munich Borussia Dortmund Bundesliga match this weekend with our German correspondent. I'm just calling him our German correspondent, Ryan Hun. And then at the end, we'll have an interview with Relevant Sports CEO Daniel Silman to talk about the this summer's International Champions Cup. Daniel Silman, incidentally, 30 years old and is a CEO. Micah, goals, right? Wow. Wow. <laughs> have you ever been to an uh, ICC match? Yes, I have been to at least one. It was uh, Liverpool-Chelsea, I want to say it was two summers ago, at the Rose Bowl. Nice. Um, yeah, I was in a, in, a, in a press box with Claudio Ranieri, who got really excited when the ice cream came out, like, in 75th minute. Did he do, like, Jilly Jolly Ding Dong or whatever? Uh, no. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was more like, you know, a very airy yes, like, yes, <laughs> like it was, it was great. I, it was, he's the most charming man ever. I've been to several, actually before the ICC was formed, I think I went to the previous iterations uh, of the ICC and we'll get, we'll get into it with Daniel later about how some people complain about the competition being a little watered down or it not being, you know, very high stakes matches. But I saw that United is actually in the ICC, but they're not coming to America. However, Arsenal are coming to Washington, D.C., FedEx Field, July 23rd, to play Real Madrid. So that should be interesting. Anyway, let's get into the Premier League. Micah, Wednesday, three matches today. That's why we're recording on Wednesday and not a Tuesday. First and foremost, the perfect opening for Tottenham Hotspurs and their new stadium. 2-0 over Palace. Mm, Would we say it's perfect? I, I, like it was, it was, it was. It was pretty perfect. I mean, other than not being able to score until, you know, midway through the second half. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of pageantry to open up the new aptly named Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, let's talk about it for a second because it was almost like a Champions League final. Maybe not that much pageantry, but they had, they tried. I mean, I guess when it all else fails, you just get kids to sing and dance and, and that pretty much 
Yeah, you know? well, they had the shot of the, the the guy walking out of the tunnel holding the microphone, and like as he walks past Danny Rose, Danny Rose just kind of turns and looks at him like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on here? It's funny, too. Every time the camera went to Harry Kane's face, you could see it in his face. It was just like, will this shit fucking ever end? <laughs> no, 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 no. How dare you? Harry, Kane's was, <laughs> Harry Kane was buzzing. He was absolutely buzzing. He's still buzzing right now. So they had the two kids singing and then like the choir and then this opera guy came out and started belting. And then they showed like, uh, there was like some, not fireworks, but fire or sparks, like a Olympic torch style thing at the top of the stadium. Uh, Yeah, spraying back across this this large cast. um, Version of the badge? Yeah, exactly. Um, Which I mean like was uh, quite a shot uh, on TV to see, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, you paid a billion dollars into a stadium. You need a little pomp and circumstance. Yeah, you got to talk your shit a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and as far as obviously we weren't at the game, but judging just from watching it on television, it it looks a real deal. I mean, I, I like the angles. I liked how close the crowd is to the the pitch. It's actually eight meters, I read, as opposed to eighteen at Wembley. Uh, it felt intense, like a kind of a cauldron like atmosphere. I mean, maybe I'm going too far here. No, but. I mean, like it, it was definitely loud. Um, right. and maybe that played into the, to the game, not really settling into itself for, you know, like a full hour. Um, right. it was very cagey. Spurs ended up with 26 shots to Crystal Palace's five, only eight on target, but yeah. But the, the thing is that like the, the quality of the quality of shots wasn't ex- a lot, a lot wasn't of long distance prayers. Yeah. Right. And it was, you know, early on what was missing was like the final, the final pass, just like the, the execution in the final third, um, which eventually arrived in the form of Song Hung Min. Who else could it be? It's sunny. Scoring the first goal in uh, Tottenham's new stadium. It was, Actually, Which you told me initially was an I, own goal. I still think that you know it, it's a it would have been it would have been appropriate either way if it was if the first goal in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was an own goal or whether it was scored by Sonny it would have been equally appropriate. <laughs> um, but Milivojevic came uh, all the way across the box as Sonny was cutting in across the middle. Um, it looked like he was searching out the far post, but uh, due to a very heavy deflection, it ended up at the near post. It wasn't that heavy. It bro. was pretty heavy. And then Christian Eriksen scored to put the game away. Uh, one thing I noticed at the end of the match, or, or somewhere at, towards the end of the second, I was watching three matches at once, so my eyes were kind of darting back and forth. But there was a close up of uh, Zaha mouthing off at Kieran Trippier. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. I think he literally said. Uh, lip reading here shut the fuck up and Kieran Trippier's face it was quite hilarious I love that I love that it's it's soon to become another classic of the shut the fuck up frustration vine you know genre of like the same one with Paul Pogba telling Kevin Strootman during that France Netherlands match like shut the fuck up (laughs) shut the fuck up just a just a timeless thing to say to to an opponent (laughs) you have you seen actually the, the the Spurs microbrewery technology where the cup fills from the bottom it's honestly a pretty old technology as i've understood it oh, i've been listening to excuse me a couple of uh you know different footballing podcasts that have mentioned this. Well, suffice to say they don't have it at the rose bowl they don't have it at the rose bowl no they don't but and Sports. it is very cool to look at i mean you know and so is you know flying 
in a wingless bird uh, across the across you know leagues and hundreds of thousands of miles of seawater. Whatever you know, like it's great. Spurs Stadium is also we should mention totally cashless, which is kind of interesting. They haven't sold the naming rights yet. I think what are they just calling it? Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, yeah, I mean, like that's the name at at the time of recording, but surely it's going to become something else. Of course, Harry Kane didn't score today. It wasn't quite his best game. Uh, I wanted to actually quickly mention the story that was going around that he wanted to be an NFL kicker in ten to twelve years. He said, "Quote." I mean, sure, whatever. I mean, <laughs> like I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm. I was kind of upset actually at the. It's an ESPN story. And the headline was like, Harry Kane, blah, 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 and wants to be in the NFL. And it's basically like an 8,000-word story or whatever. And the NFL part is like buried toward the end, and it's just kind of like a rambling quote. Well, yeah. I mean, like it was the, – the headline was framed as grabby. It was more like Harry Kane considers future in the NFL amid, uh, you know, contract talks with uh, Tottenham Hotspur, which is just like – Another way to drum up clicks, but sure. You yeah, know, and like here we are talking about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, did you watch any of the other two matches? Uh, Chelsea beat Brighton 3-0, and City back atop the league beating Cardiff City 2-0. Um, it was more so that I saw, I caught the the goal zone segments of the other two games, uh, mm-hmm. particularly Ruben Loftus-Cheek's gorgeous finish. Um, the, from third, the, the, third, the third goal. Yes, yes. It was, um, I mean, you know, everything that, that he does is, pretty he's pretty it's great yeah. <laughs> it's, it's... the heat is off of sorry um reach sorry a little bit uh callum hudson adoy finally got a premier league start uh much to the delight of chelsea fans who've been begging for him much to the delight of of myself who is who was you know ready for like it's it's good that we're finally going to eventually understand exactly how good callum hudson adoy is yeah he looked great on that first goal for Giroud. You kind of, in a nutshell, saw what Hudson Adoy. Why everyone's excited about him? He just kind of skinned his defender and um, buzzed in across. Uh, yeah, I mean, like the 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 style of of sorry ball is kind of, and I know I use this word a lot, but it's like it's metronomic. It does go back and forth across the pitch and stays like in front of like a set defense, and they lack the person that can just kind of change the game or turn it on its head or or penetrate in that way. Uh, aside from Edna Zard, who really does more of slashing in from the outside. But I mean, like Hudson Adoy is going to, you know, with, with Ed Hazard maybe leaving the summer to go to Real Madrid, um, is going to be, <clears throat> could maybe fill that space to maybe yeah. fill that void. He did have one kind of folly moment blooper at the end of the first half. I don't know if you saw the ball was rolling to him. He was like by the post and he tried to shoot it and he completely whiffed and fell. Which was kind of funny. Yeah, you know, you you um, you win some and you lose some. You win some and you lose a lot more. You know, Hudson Adoy is from a place called Collier's Wood, which is three miles from where? Streatham. If you're talking about peas, <laughs> just allow me. <laughs> and then, of course, City, <laughs> City had no no real problems with Cardiff City. They scored in like the fifth minute. De Bruyne scored, and then Sane scored after that. Uh, no Aguero, no problem. The city machine keeps rolling along. They're back on top of the league by a point. Also, a really um, good clip of uh, Neil Warnock um, talking to Kevin De Bruyne near Etheridge after the game, which I'm going to put money on him having made a joke about De Bruyne's first goal, being like, you meant to cross that, didn't you? Yeah, because um, that was like a crazy tight angle. But I think 
it, it seemed I, like it was there's I I don't believe that anything Kevin DeBerna does is on accident though. So it's, it's kind of I don't know trend alert here, but it seems like City are the king. I mean, City are the kings of a lot of things, but they score a lot of tight angle goals. I mean, Aguero is kind of the master of that too, where it looks like there's no angle or no gap. And he somehow like rockets it in. Well, yeah, I mean, like I'm sure I'm sure that there's a certain element of uh, the keeper kind of thinking that it's going to be across and not closing off his his nearest post and just if you smash it in there, chances are something is going to happen. By the way, what do you think of when the? I mean, I guess it's almost like holiday fixture madness that games spill out into Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Like, how do you feel about that? Um, because we just came out of an international break, so it is. You know, listen. I'm not one to question divine providence. If there's more <laughs> football to watch on a Monday or a Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm watching it. Speaking of yesterday, Fulham are down now. Uh, they lost to Watford four to one. They spent over a hundred million pounds this summer, as we talked about in past episodes, and got pants by Watford. Ninth straight loss, and then your boys, your bogey team, everybody's bogey team, Wolves. Well, actually, we, we haven't. Spoken about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer getting the full-time gig. Um, right. That happened on March 28th? Yes. Um, is that, are you happy? Yes. I mean, like, the thing is that it was, it, again, like, I, I said this after um, after PSG. I mean, and it, it was really something you could tell during that historic run of uh, 11 games unbeaten beforehand. Like he was gonna, like he was gonna get the job, um, and he. I mean, like it's not as long as Mourinho's contract was three years. It's not five years, and three years is just kind of like you know. All right, we we like where this is going. Let's see if it works out. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think they should have given him a one year deal personally, but maybe that would have been a little disrespectful. Yeah, I mean, like he's pro- like the thing is that like he's been in the job and he's been like he's he's looked comfortable for the most part so far, except a couple of games where he was shown to be lacking in tactical aptitude but you know we'll we're, we'll iron that out you know yeah i mean the end of the season will tell though i mean they're currently in 6th place obviously it's very tight between 6 and 4 but i mean presumably i know Solskjaer has talked about being happy to share i guess leadership with a technical director should they get one and there's going to be some turnover. So, I mean, who's on your wish list for the summer? Um, yeah, I see that you have Jaden Sancho written down here in the rundown. And, you know, like, well, that'd be a great luxury buy. We <laughs> absolutely need to do better <laughs> than the Jones-Smalling pairing at the back. So, uh, yes, Kubali, Rafael Varane, literally any solid center back I will take. Um, and also we need wing backs. Right. Well, actually, it remains to be seen, obviously, whether Liverpool will win the league. But insofar as the Premier League being maybe a copycat league like all major sports leagues are, the fact that Liverpool bought Van Dijk for whatever, $75 million and are thriving, it's probably, you know, a lesson for the other top clubs that investing heavily in the back line and a keeper is probably a good strategy. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, it's always it's always been the case, right? That you need a good uh, well, it, defense and a good keeper. But everyone was kind of is Van Dyke really worth this much money? And I mean, out, like it is. was it was absolutely it was more so that people were like like saying that Klopp can't complain about how much City is spending on 
XYZ or how much United has spent because you spent 75 mil on a center back. And I mean, it, it, like, it's not well, a guess bad what? Koulibaly will Koulibaly will probably be 80 million. So. Yeah. Or a hundred. Who knows at this, yeah. at this, at this juncture, too much inflation. <laughs> Monday, only one match Arsenal 2 0 over Newcastle. They were in third for what? 48 hours. Uh, but 10 straight wins for Unai Emery. Uh, things back on track. And then over the weekend, Huddersfield Town were relegated after losing to Palace. So Huddersfield and Fulham are both down. Uh, there was a Liverpool Spurs match, Liverpool winning two to one. The aforementioned Van Dyke, a rock throughout that game. Um, a lot of talk about Loris not being good enough after that, but I guess he came back today and pitched a shutout. And then there was the Chelsea two one win over Cardiff, comeback win, which was a huge controversial game because of. I was going to say VAR incidents, but obviously Premier League doesn't have VAR. Incidents that next year presumably would have been VAR incidents, a couple potential penalties, a goal that was miles offside. You watch that or did you see those highlights? I didn't see that. I didn't actually catch that game. Although I did catch uh, Warnock's, uh, you know, hair on fire comments after the game because you can always trust them to be good. <laughs> um, best league in the world, worst officials. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's funny, like... The as 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 Puluqueta goal was on replay like crazy offsides. But if you watched it in real time, I didn't know it was offsides. And not only that, none of the Cardiff players really complained at, at the time. So it goes to show you how difficult it is to call. But with VAR, I mean, one of Warnock's points there was that small teams get punished, which I think is a fair point. Uh, and that VAR will level the playing field a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I'm, so, I mean... Basically, I'm just going back on what I said last episode. I'm back in on VAR. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, sure that your position will change at least four more times. <laughs> it's just because I like Warnock so much. Um, so this weekend, we have some FA Cup semifinals. Watford and Wolves, City and Brighton. Oh, speaking of VAR, read this. Uh, of course, the FA Cup semifinals are played at Wembley. And I'm reading now from a talk sports story. I believe footage... Uh, VAR reviews will be displayed to fans on the Wembley Stadium big screens in this weekend's FA Cup semifinals, but only if a decision is overturned. The decision will be announced on the big screen before a definitive video clip is displayed. It has been confirmed. Which is one of the, you know, hitches, I guess, we've been talking about with VAR is that the stadium and the fans have no it's idea just what's kind going of, on. Yeah, they're just kind of sitting in, you know, puzzled silence for like four minutes. Actually, it's been like ages since I've been to an NFL game when they're like, the referees are looking in, in the booth or in that little, you know, when, when they're l looking at a replay, did the fans in the stadium get to see what's going on or get to see the replay? You Sometimes know, you hear the fans like groan and shit and, and you know that they're looking at the Jumbotron and seeing some like egregious foul or something, I right? think that they do get to watch that. You do get to see the playoffs on the draw. I know that you do during an NBA game, I, but the, the I th I'm pretty sure you get to also it's, do it. It's almost like venue game. by venue, right? Like who you know, like uh, what replays you get to see. Yeah. In any event, I think it's a good move to have the fans. But it's, it's also saying only if a decision is overturned. So essentially it's showing like why a decision was overturned. It's not allowing really the fans to see in real time uh, what decision is being made. But I mean, at least it's something. Uh, also Wolves News, I read today that they are set to announce the signing of Raul Jimenez tomorrow the Mexican striker who's been killing it, who killed United. Who had a uh, hand in both goals in the win over United. You what didn't have pass. to say kill. What you a know, pass was... to Jota. Well, what a pass. Yeah, it really was though. That's what I want my striker to do. God, I was Any... so jealous of that shit. 32 million. 
That's a lot. Mendez, bro. You know? How much um, money has Mendez made off can't of Can't ban Wolf? the snowman. <laughs> Mendez could buy the ringer just off what he, what he uh, has made off of like sales to Wolves. Crazy. Uh, and then Sunday, Premier League action, title race, Palace playing City uh, at home and Liverpool-Chelsea. Basically, City has like a match every three days for the month of April because they're still in for the quadruple. So they have this FA Cup semifinals. They got Champions League ties. They got the Premier League. Um, It's going to be a little bit of fixture congestion, as they call it. Do you have a uh, Do you have a you know any opinion on the on the title race as we enter the last month? Well, I mean, it's more so that like. I would it you know, my thing is that this is like Liverpool are have have obviously won games in pretty much every fashion this season. The game against um against Spurs, I mean, was obviously lucky. We've seen them win kind of utilitarian one oh games. You've seen them blow people out, you've seen them do their swashbuckling thing from last season. And that uh, paired up with the fact that City are now just like comfortably winning games again. Like, I mean, they're they're the two zero win over Brighton. To, uh, the three, sorry, their two zero win over Cardiff today was just very pedestrian. Yeah, I mean, if City score on you in the first five minutes, it just you're, feels like you're City, cooked. It's it feels just more so, I guess, that City are you know sloping downhill, like you know, like not even pressing down on the gas pedal. And Liverpool are kind of chugging uphill, successfully even, but it just seems more like work. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. It's really a talk. Like, I can't call it going down the stretch. Sorry. I'm I'm talking to Mauricio Sarri right now. If you don't start Hudson-Odoi against Liverpool, you are a coward. Anyway, wouldn't it be crazy if Liverpool didn't win the title and finished the year only dropping one match, losing one match? Um, I think that that would certainly be, be a testament to how great City are. Exactly. I I just don't like it's it, it just feels almost like Liverpool is going to be a bit part player in a, a another chapter about Manchester City's hegemony. Yeah. All right, so that's Premier League talk. Unfortunately, we have to talk about another racist abuse uh, incident in European football. Yesterday on Tuesday, uh, Juventus Cagliari match. Moisa Ken, who's uh, a 19-year-old Italian forward for Juventus, endured monkey chants and all kinds of racist abuse from the Calgary fans. Uh, and after scoring his team's second goal in a 2-0 victory in the 85th minute, he looked at the crowd with his arms outstretched. Personally, to me, Micah, that was like the best celebration that you can do. Like That was fucking gangster. Like, it was I, gangster yeah. as fuck, and it was captured. That photo, I mean, frame that shit put it in the Louvre because it was just an awesome way to kind of say fuck you to the crowd. Anyway, this, you know, racist abuse in Italy, sadly, is not anything new, but this story has picked up a lot of traction because in the aftermath, uh, Ken's teammate, defender Leonardo Bonucci, had some very questionable quotes. He said, I mean, this is obviously translated from the Italian, that Ken had to take 50-50 of the blame basically suggesting that Ken's provocation of the crowd is what drew um, the racist jeers. Basically, the argument of, like, you wore a short skirt, so you deserve to be assaulted. Um, What did you make of all of that, Micah? I mean, 
And now this story is definitely picking up momentum because a lot of famous world footballers are speaking out in defense of Ken, including, not surprisingly, Raheem Sterling, who's been subject to many of those similar taunts. Uh, Paul Pogba, Super Mario Balotelli. I feel the same as Ian Wright wading into the comments under Leonardo Benucci's Instagram <laughs> post, which was "Pussio, you are part <laughs> of the problem." <laughs> which is, which is just like it's this kind of ongoing thing that assumes that racism doesn't exist outside of provocation, right? And willfully. And, and, and I saw a tw- just to, not to cut you off. I'm sorry, but I, I saw a Twitter thread uh, with volume clips from the game to show that Ken was being abused. Throughout. Throughout the game. He scored in the 85th minute and then, you know, did the celebration and then more abuse came. But uh, the monkey sounds and the whistling and I mean, I guess whistling. I mean, like it's not even new in Cagliari. Uh, right. Like uh, Cagliari president Tommaso uh, Giolini blamed, obviously blamed Ken for inciting the fans. He said he heard mostly boos. If they started making animal noises and they were in the wrong what again, you know, like the whole, you know, like if it happened, you know, thing. Right. But what happened at the end is because of a celebration which was wrong and it would have happened with any other player. Um, yeah, he right. said if, Ber- if Bernadette had done it, exactly. he would have gotten the same treatment. Exactly. And it's just kind of like that's, you know, not even what the question is about. Um, right. And also, uh, Blaze Matweedy earlier this season had uh, a similar incident against but Calgary. I think it was la- last season. Last season, yeah. excuse me. And also, I mean, the, the thing is that like we're going to do this thing where we have the performative of this is a problem and we should put a stop to it and, you know, like this is bad and whatever, but then it'll blow over just like the Kaladu Koulibaly thing did uh, earlier this season in a matter of like a week, you know? Um did you see that Bonucci tried to clean it up a little on his IG stories? He he had a, in English, he wrote, regardless of anything, in any case, no to racism. And he had like a, a white arm it flexing and a black arm that flexing. That means, listen, hey, listen, if you, if you, if any of you out there are, do you remember the Nike, the Nike wristbands that said, you know, like stand up or whatever they had the yeah, ad yeah, campaigns yeah. where it was just a bunch of. Uh, like Ronaldinho and Thierry Henry and so on and so forth. Like they were all wearing black t-shirts and light wash jeans holding up signs <laughs> and shit. And it's just like this whole thing, this means nothing. It doesn't help anything. You are yep. like, if you just saying no to race, like being, uh, say no to racism, let's get some kids out here, fair play and all this other shit is like, you know, this, yeah, racism is bad. Water's wet. The sky is blue. Like, what are you doing about it? <laughs> and it was it, it was just a couple of weeks ago that the aforementioned Raheem Sterling, along with Hudson Adoy, I believe Danny Rose, were subject to racial, racial abuse in a Euro qualifier, England, uh, 5-1 win over Montenegro. Yeah. Um, and we've been hearing it, you know, in the NBA, the, the Utah Jazz fan that was banned for life for calling Russell Westbrook a boy, among other things. And then this DeMarcus Cousins um, Incident, I guess, that happened earlier this season in Boston where allegedly a fan said the N-word and the Celtics investigated and maybe he didn't say it, but I mean... I mean, but like, let's also, let's not, let's not end this discussion about, uh, about the, about the Moise Ken incident without, you know, like flaming Massimiliano Allegri, who also said that, that Moise Ken was, you know, partly to blame for yeah. the, the... The although, racist chance of the Calgary fans. Although, to be fair, I don't know if these were just Juve fans or Allegri defenders, but I did see on Reddit that 
what was widely reported by Football Italia as uh, those quotes about Allegri kind of criticizing Ken might have been mistranslated or something. And I saw a separate translation, which was a little bit more charitable and understanding. Um, not that it wouldn't have, not that it wouldn't be in line, even if it was poorly translated, not that it wouldn't be in line with, you know, like what Juventus has done as an organization (laughs) in general, a tweet from our, from, from our good friend, Ryan O'Hanlon, that kind of puts all of this into perspective. They were stripped of multiple titles for match fixing in the last decade. They, they followed that up by blindly supporting a quote unquote, great champion who'd been credibly accused of rape and blaming one of their own players for being racially abused. <laughs> right. And, I'm, you know, this is obviously a big story that needs to be talked about, but it shouldn't also distract from the fact that Moise Ken is a very exciting prospect. He's only 19 years old. Four goals in four games. Four goals in four games. He just, he's become the second youngest scorer for Italy. He just scored, uh, you know, he only has three caps, but he's two, two goals. Four goals in four games. I don't know if you've seen any... Um, you know, YouTube highlight reels, but the kid is exciting. I mean, he's quick and talented and, you know, it's a shame that his name is in the headlines for this, or maybe it's not a shame because it'll bring, you know, attention to him and also this issue. But I I guess it's difficult because anytime something like this happens, someone like Allegri or the Cagliari president or, uh, you know, Italian football officials are asked, how do you eradicate this or what do you do? I mean, what do you do? I mean, you can ban people from stadiums, um, you can have video, I guess, in the stands to see who's doing what. Uh, ultimately, it's like a societal issue, no? Um, yeah, I mean, like it, it, it's it obviously uh, yes, it is. A, <laughs> yes, racism <laughs> is a societal <laughs> issue, Donnie. Um, but again, it's like again, I the only. The, I mean, the shit the that happens in Europe it has, has to it, be a like down to a one-to-one level. Like, I mean, it's just calling shit out as you see it uh, sternly and swiftly and completely. Does it does it slightly boggle the mind as an American to know that this stuff still goes on? Not a, it will know. Because, um, I mean, like, it's... I mean, imagine, like, monkey chants breaking out at, like, an uh, NFL game. I mean... I got to be honest with you, you're crazy if you think that doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, maybe not like in unison, not an entire curva of of fans. Right. But I mean, it's, you know, the, the racism manifests itself in different ways in American sports. Right, right. Very true, very true. Did you see the other story about Moisa Ken? About, uh, so, you know, he's been getting a lot of coverage now because he's uh, such a hot prospect and, and scoring seemingly at will. Um, there was a story that uh, his father was promised two tractors uh, for getting his son to sign with Juventus. Unfortunately, the story was quickly debunked by Moise Ken himself, but it was something that was kind of interesting. Wow. Yeah, Moise Ken, his parents are of Ivorian descent, and apparently they split when he was quite young. And so he kind of is distancing himself from his father and, and giving all credit to his mother. But anyway, Moise Ken is someone that you should keep an eye on, maybe put him on your FIFA team. And, uh, you know, I know, I guess people are calling him the Super Mario, the new Super Mario, because it's an easy thing to do because he's a black Italian player. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, let Moise Ken be Moise Ken. And also his name is pronounced Moise Ken, even though it's spelled Keen. Moise Keen. <laughs> Moise Keen. 
Uh, and follow him on Instagram too. I was looking at his uh, gram and, and, and it's worth following. Okay, so let's quickly move on to another quick news story uh, off the pitch. Jordan Pickford, did you see England number one and Everton keeper Jordan Pickford getting in some handbags? Uh, no, um, I did not see this, but I look forward to, 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 to hearing some, something about it from you. So, yeah, it was basically just like some, you know, grainy iPhone footage of him kind of throwing punches outside of a Sunderland pub. Uh, it happened very early, uh, hours Monday morning. And I think it got leaked that day and it was just, uh, Pickford kind of like in a crowd of people. Uh, you couldn't really tell what was happening. But then later, the Daily Mail, what a trusted source, reported that Pickford was infuriated when someone called his fiance a fat C-word and a slag. And after I read that, I was like, okay, Pickford, swing on him. Yeah. I mean, sure. Like, <laughs> those are fighting yeah, words, those right? Are, those, those are fighting words. As as long as you acknowledge that you're you're fighting... Yeah, about the disrespect, but also you're mostly fighting for yourself. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, or maybe not funny, but interesting, is that there was other footage from earlier in the night when Pickford was, you know, less angry, uh, just inside the pub, taking pictures and selfies with fans, and you could hear people heckling him, saying like, Butterfingers, your arms are too short. Well, blah, I mean, blah, like, there's suck. also a lot of, like, a, there's still some residual animosity there for him, you know, <sighs> Jumping had, into had a had lifeboat after, well, jumping into a lifeboat and and going to to Everton after Sunderland were relegated. True, um, yeah, it was Sunderland fans, Newcastle fans. I mean, even though he's England's number one, obviously he's like a, a prominent public athlete, and drunk people will deride him. But I, it made me think, really, though, like as a footballer or as an athlete, going out must kind of suck. Oh, you got to go. Yeah. You got to go out where like rich people are. Like. <laughs> I, I like you. Fame has got to be trash. I mean, yeah. I mean, does anyone heckle you in public, Michael, when you're out in like uh, Koreatown? Michael Peters, your columns suck. Man, nobody knows who I am. <laughs> anyway, on that note, we're going to take a break. We come back, we will talk about Dirt Classicer. And we're back to talk about Dirt Classicer, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund at 12.30 Eastern time from Alliance Arena. This is the biggest Bundesliga match in recent memory. So I'm welcoming Ryan Hun live from Berlin. He's the co-host of the Rabona podcast and a writer for Rabona magazine. What's up, Ryan? Hey, man. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for joining us. I know it's a little bit late on your side. Actually, did you watch the Bayern match today? They had this crazy German Cup quarterfinal. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I was hoping to talk to you about that, actually. I just... You know, I was like, had one eye on it uh, and I just kept seeing the scoreline change. I saw the red card and then I just saw like 2-1, I mean, maybe in a nutshell, you could describe what happened. Yeah, I mean, well, it was basically the DFB Pokal, so the German Cup quarterfinals, um, buying at home to second division Heidenheim. Yeah, a second um, division team. Wow. Yeah, they're sixth in the second division. And uh, yeah, I mean, when Leon Goretzka got the early goal, you'd assume Bayern were going to run away with it, maybe five or six. But then Nicolas Zula got sent off for questionable red card, went to VAR. Did you um, think it was questionable? It's, it's I think pretty rash. I mean, it wasn't a last man thing. It was more just because it was so rash. Yeah, I mean, I think if he'd been given a yellow, it probably would have been, you, I don't think many people would have complained about it. So I could 
I think it was a little bit harsh, but I could see why it was given. Mm -hmm. But um, that kind of swung the game a little bit because Bayern had to play. The, I mean, this was only after less than quarter of an hour, so Bayern had to play the rest of the game with ten men. Um, Heidenheim ended up going two two one up and mm -hmm. took that lead into the break, and then. Bayern brought on Lewandowski and Kingsley Coman and they ended up going 4-2 up and you kind of thought, oh, that's it. And then um, Heidenheim pulled it back to 4-4, uh, sorry, had a, a three-on-two break to go 5-4 up, which they missed, uh, wow. kind of messed it up. And then <laughs> Bayern got a penalty for handball. That was 5-4 and that was kind of it. But Oh, damn. So the, 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 la the winning goal was off a, a penalty for handball. How unjust. Yeah. Did they find that one? It's, it's interesting to see how that might affect Bayern on the weekend because obviously Dortmund aren't in the cup anymore and they've had a, a week's rest. Um, and I don't think Bayern were maybe expecting that to be such an intense game. Yeah, that's a great segue because I guess they, Lewandowski didn't start in what they probably weren't going to use him, right? They kind of were forced to. Yeah, and they were also resting Jerome Boateng who then came on um, after Zula got sent off. They... Uh, hooked Frank Ribery who didn't look happy at all and brought on Jerome Boateng so yeah maybe not as smoothly as as Bayern uh, or Niko Kovac would have wanted it going into the weekend yeah well th that sets the table nicely for Saturday's match which you're mm. going to you told me right I am yeah yeah I'll be there that's amazing so uh, for the Bundesliga season there's seven matches left and Dortmund are two points clear yes uh, Byron, of course, have won the last six titles. Uh, yep. And Dortmund last won it, I guess, in 2012. And Dortmund have essentially been at top of the table for the entire season. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, they actually had a nine-point lead um, going into the winter break. They were unbelievable out of the blocks and kind of, I think, took a lot of people off guard, you know. Um, mm -hmm. This is essentially still quite a young team. And, what, what, um, what was it specifically, would you say, that uh, led to Dortmund being so good this season after, you know, they've been finishing miles behind Bayern for the last six seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of combination of things. I mean, the emergence of some players that have turned out to be key players ahead of schedule, like Jaden Sancho, prime example. Um, but also Lucien Favre, like Lucien Favre came in from Nice in the summer. Um, he was someone that I think Dortmund were after the previous summer. And, um, but they went for Peter Bosch instead, who was the old Ajax coach, who never really quite fit with that group of players in terms of the style of football he wanted to play. Mm -hmm. He ended up getting sacked mid-season and they replaced him with Peter Struger, who was the old um, Cologne boss. And again, that didn't really quite quite fit. So I think they've kind of just been set free a little bit by Lucien Favre, really. It seems to be, for example, like Marco Royce played underneath him when Lucien Favre was at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mm -hmm. um, and Marco Royce has been a really key player for for Dortmund this season. Um, new new father, Marco Royce, we should say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that was one of the probably one of the reasons why Dortmund were not at their best at the weekend against Wolfsburg. He was um, away, missed the game, attending the birth of his first child. Right, and and Dortmund really missed him. Actually, um, not a great game. Both both games in the weekend, Bayern the Bayern at Freiburg and Dortmund at home to Wolfsburg um, yeah I mean I'm not sure if you want to cover that quickly but if you <laughs> just give you some context I mean Dortmund were nil-nil going into 90 minutes and then they scored two uh, in injury time at the end of the game end of the game to win the game Bayern had drawn at Freiburg and that meant that you know Dortmund were now back properly on top because Bayern had reined them in they'd reined in that nine point lead and they'd actually overtaken them on goal difference at the top um, 
But it's been a real key factor of Dortmund this season. I, no team in the league has scored more goals in stoppage time than Dortmund. Um, and actually Paco Alcácer, who got two in the Wolfsburg game, he set a Bundesliga record for the first player to score five goals after 90 minutes in a game. That's in a crazy. Season. Yeah, so they leave it late a lot. So turning the spotlight on Bayern a little bit, you mentioned that Dortmund had at one point a nine-point lead. There were rumblings about Niko Kovac's job early on in the season. Um, but as they've whittled away at that lead, has there been, I guess, some improvement or uh, some hope, at least for Bayern fans? Like, because uh, everyone thought that this year they they were kind of you know a team in transition and 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 struggling a little bit. Yeah, I mean they they're definitely still a team in transition, but they definitely since the winter break they started to look a little bit more like Bayern. You mm-hmm. know, um, I mean this is like you said they've won six straight Bundesligas. Um, this is a team who is used to being in these kind of situations well or further ahead you know they've been there done it a million times and they they seem to kind of start having that swagger about them that they'd missed in the in the winter um and that was kind of it really whereas Dortmund were dropping silly points here and there um you know they left it late against Hertha Berlin I was actually at that game Dortmund beat Hertha for the first time in about five years um just before the international break and again they left it to stoppage time so it it felt like Dortmund were really having to struggle to pick up points whereas Bayern were blowing teams away I mean they kind of were rattled off like five or six nil wins in a couple of weeks in a row and maybe just Kovac getting the backing a little bit from the Bayern board he is a you know, he's, he is their guy. Um, right. So I think that's why they stood by him. Stood by him, sorry. And um, and yeah, like I say, they kind of just got into their groove a little bit more after Christmas. Do, do you feel like because Bayern have sort of whittled the lead down that it's public sense kind of or football fan sense is that it's almost inevitable that they'll overtake Dortmund starting with, I guess, there's a classic on Saturday? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Like unstoppable momentum. It's kind of like Liverpool and City, right? Like nobody, you know. Yeah, I mean, the difference being is that Bayern are this, you know, this juggernaut in Germany. They right. they operate on a different level to the rest of the Bundesliga in terms of budget, and you know they can they can sweep up the best players from the other teams in the Bundesliga, as you've seen with like Lewandowski moved there from Dortmund and Mario Goetze went there from Dortmund and they right. signed Leon Goretzka this season from, from Schalke, Mats Hummels from Dortmund as well. Yeah, you're right. So no other team in the league has that power to do that so um, but yeah I think maybe the, the fear was that you then started to worry about the inexperience in this Dortmund side mm-hmm. um, you know how like I said a, a bit ago they are ahead of schedule no one really expected them to be two points clear going into April um, so you'd wonder how they feel how they would feel the pressure and I think the good thing about the Classica on the weekend is that now Dortmund can go there knowing that they don't have to win. They right. just don't need to lose. Right. Um, which is, if you look at the rest of the games afterwards, if Dortmund were going into this level or behind in the league, you'd say they really need to win it to have any chance of winning the league. But actually, both teams have very winnable games pretty much going into the the last game of the season where they both play teams who might need to win to um, to get Champions League qualification like Bayern are at home to Eintracht Frankfurt who are one of the most impressive teams in the Bundesliga at the moment they've won five straight in the league I think and I think they're unbeaten in all competitions since the winter break 
and Dortmund have to go away to Mönchengladbach who are notoriously hard to play um, they're still fifth in the league but they're kind of on a bit of a nosedive at the moment they've only won one in their last seven so for Dortmund if they can avoid defeat on the weekend then it gives them just a little bit of breathing space mm, Sounds like it's going to be tight so for the match itself on Saturday I saw that well Pulisic was hurt in his um, in the most recent I guess US MNT friendlies mm. Uh, are there other, any other kind of like lineup issues or stuff that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, there's quite a few actually. I mean, there's a possibility that Mamor Noya might not be there. Um, he's still recovering from a calf injury. He missed the game against Heidenheim in the cup. He missed the game against Freiburg at the weekend. Um, I think he was asked in the, uh, by a journalist whether he'll be fit and his, his answer was, I don't know. <laughs> so um, that's the only main one for Bayern. Dortmund, uh, I mean, Dortmund have had a a really bad run of injuries this season. They lost Ashraf Hakimi at the weekend who actually came on as a substitute. He's the uh, left back on loan. He's on a two-year loan from Real Madrid. A really, really amazing player. Um, he came on as a substitute and ended up fracturing a metatarsal. He's out for the rest of the season. Uh, like you say, your boy, Christian Pulisic, <laughs> is out for a month. Uh, they're also without Lucas Piszczek. Uh, Maximilian Philip is out for the rest of the season and Diallo is also out. I'm not sure if he'll be back, but yeah, Dortmund have got a, uh, a lot a, a lot of notable injuries. Um, but Marco Royce will be back. Um, they've also got Jaden Sancho, who, you know, I mean, he's now um, the leading assist maker in Europe's top five yeah, leagues. Let me double click on Sancho really quick because as someone who watches the Bundesliga closely is... How real is this Sancho hype? Because it's, oh, it's real, man. It's yeah. real. <laughs> like, he, do you know who he reminds me of? We we kind of mentioned it on our podcast. I think it was just before Christmas. We were saying he's kind of like Luca in the NBA a little bit. Where ah, interesting, interesting analogy. In what well, sense? Well, you know, where, like, for, when being a foreigner. Well, yeah, for one. <laughs> but you know, like, you know, when Luca came into the league, and there was a lot of people who, you know, with the NBA, they kind of their focus is really on college, right? And there was a load of people saying like, no, this kid is, he's legit. He's done it, you know, at a really good level. And I think the problem with um, the Bundesliga is that you really notice actually going to the games that um, compared to the Premier League, the rest of the world's eyes just aren't on it as much. Right. So there's a lot of people in the UK who mainly only really see him when he plays for England. And I mean, it's easy to forget this kid has just turned 19. Mm. He's, I don't think he would have been expected to play this much this season. He's pretty much not forced, but he's overtaken Christian Pulisic in the pecking order, which someone said that a year ago, the, the form that Pulisic was in then, you'd say no way. Right. And um, I mean, he's still got a lot to learn, don't get me wrong, but he is super exciting to watch. Um, he's really he can be really devastating we, we actually said on the podcast last week that he's kind of the thing that's he's got this uh, ability to he can make memes out of people you know which is like <laughs> not a lot of players have got and that's why I think that being at that age being the ceiling is so high um, I think that's kind of what makes me compare him to Luca in a way do you, do you think it would be premature for him to leave Dortmund and the Bundesliga for the next season? Well, that's a, really, that's, that's a really interesting question, actually, because I don't think that he's... I don't think you can question his ability to make a 
make a move to the Premier League, for example. Mm-hmm. However, I just think that that move will come eventually. Right. And I think that he, there's a real, there's a really unique culture around Dortmund, which allows young players to flourish. It's not in a massively high profile part of Germany. Um, you know, it's not covered by a lot of the international media. Um, you know, going to Manchester United for something like a hundred million euros, which is the kind of fee that I've seen been touted around. You kind of wonder whether you'd want him to have that price Scrutiny. tag on him, really. Yeah, it, it, the pressure would be immense. Yeah, whereas, I mean, the Bundesliga is an amazing league to learn. I mean, you started seeing, I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan. I think you're an Arsenal fan as well, right? So, Correct. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, we've seen, you know, this season, Reese Nelson's on loan right. out there and Emil Smith-Rowe's on loan at RB Leipzig. And with Per Mertesacker in charge, if the youth set up now at Arsenal, I think we'll see a lot more young players go to the Bundesliga on loan because it is a it's a really good league. It's has a lot of similarities with the Premier League in terms of pace and style and stuff like that. Um, so personally, I would like to see Sancho stay at Dortmund for a long time. Also because I have a little bit of a soft spot for Dortmund. And mm-hmm. seems like a lot of, you know, fans of the Bundesliga do. Yeah, I mean the, it's it's basically there's a a bit of a thing here where, you know, if you don't, anyone who doesn't, anyone who isn't a Bayern fan just basically kind of hates Bayern, really. Right. And, and they're the Yankees or, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's kind of happy you see it in the UK with, well, in England with, you know, Man United when they're at their peak. But um, they are a good, they are a great football club. They are really exciting to watch. And also this group of players, it would be, they're so, so often in the past few years, potentially really great Dortmund sides have been broken up. Um, you know, I mean, you saw it last season. It was Mendembele going to Barcelona, and actually, that's maybe a really good example to compare with Sancho going into an environment that's very different from going into Dortmund um, with a high transfer fee attached. And it took him a real—I think he's brilliant, and Dembele, but it definitely took him a while to to settle in. So, yeah, personally, I'd rather he stayed at Dortmund for a little bit, and then uh, I don't know, maybe rocked up at Arsenal in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Uh, just quickly looking ahead for for Bayern Munich, I mean, just from afar, it seems like this is a golden opportunity for Dortmund to win the league because what I'm reading about Munich, speaking of in transition, is that they're gonna. I mean, they've already they're already bringing in Benjamin Pavard, Lucas Hernandez, and mm. I think I saw Leona saying about four or five players, or you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that they're gonna spend this summer. So this yeah. probably is like the chance. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the, the the problem now with Bayern's dominance in the Bundesliga is that any season that they don't win the league, it's seen as a complete <laughs> failure. D- destroy and rebuild. Yeah, um, they are in need of a rebuild. I mean, you have uh, Iron Robin and Frank Ribery who have been stalwarts of that side for years. You also have, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jerome Boateng leave or Mats Hummels, actually. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go after another goalkeeper either. Um, mm. and yeah obviously like you say they've got two two defensive signings coming in Lucas Hernandez which is I think double the previous Bundesliga transfer fee or something crazy like that um, and Benjamin Pavard so the yeah I mean Bayern have the might to really kind of level up right. um, so you would like to see Dortmund 
win the league because I think it can have a knock-on effect as well. I think if Dortmund do win the league this season, then it might entice more of the players to stay a little bit longer and kind of buy into it a bit. Um, whereas you've seen it a few times when they get close-ish or not quite there and then players think that if someone like Bayern comes after him, then they'll they'll go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, personally, I'd like to... I mean, I'd, I'd just like to see it go the distance at the very least, you know. Well, gun to head, you'll be at the, uh, sorry, maybe not gun to head. How about hand to head? You'll, you'll be at the match on Saturday. Do you think Dortmund can win? Or my, will win? My Do honest, you have a prediction? My honest answer is no, I don't have a prediction because it could go really either way. I mean, I'd be very surprised if Bayern let Dortmund have the ball. Um, but then the problem with that is that Dortmund are so devastating on the counter-attack it really could go either way and you've seen you know I wouldn't have expected Bayern to drop points at Freiburg I wouldn't have expected them to have gone get, got run so close against Heidenheim and you know Dortmund are struggling in games still but then like I said they can win it really late so right. it is really that how, is isn't that how they beat them in, in, in November uh, uh, Dortmund beat Bayern uh, they they came from behind to win the the last Clasico in Dortmund, but it was a little bit early on. Yeah, yeah, they got two really quick goals in about five minutes, um, and um, yeah, I mean, I just I just hope it's a really good game. I hope it's not too, I hope it's not done by half time. You know, that would be a real shame. And I I, I worry that if Dortmund do get completely smashed, um, <laughs> how much that would derail their season. So, right, yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Uh, you can actually find. Ryan on Twitter. This is an awesome Twitter handle. Bad, <laughs> bad goal, Riri. But oh, bad, bad goal, Rai Rai, actually, man, because that's you know. Well, oh yeah, because you're Ryan. Exactly. But, isn't, but it's a it's a twist on Rihanna's handle, right? It is. Yeah. It is it? Is. But hers is bad goal, gal. Yeah. Riri or Rai Rai, Riri, Riri, Riri. She's Riri. Yeah. But I'm, you're Rai Rai. I'm Rai Rai. Yeah. So, so um, it's bad G O A L. R-Y, R-Y. And you also, <laughs> as I mentioned, are a co-host of the Rabona podcast and a writer for the magazine, so you can check all that out. Uh, thanks again, Ryan. Enjoy the game, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Take it easy. And we're back, and I'm ha- happy to welcome to Ringer FC the CEO of Relevant Sports. His name is Danny Silman. Thank you for joining us, Danny. Thanks for having me on. So first and foremost people should know that Relevant Sports is responsible for the International Champions Cup, which is a annual summer tournament in the United States and Asia, and Asia, right? Uh, Featuring all the heavyweights from European soccer. And last week in New York, you guys announced your lineup for this coming summer starting in July. Uh, And I got some PR about it. It seems like every year it's grown. And this year it was kind of especially big. There was like a three-day event in New York I think Jason Sudeikis was hosting, and you had Robert Perez and David Trezeguet and Alessandro De Piro, all kinds of pros, former pros and legends, and the women's 99 team were there. Uh, tell us a little bit about that event and also just how big the event itself, the ICC, has gotten. Absolutely. So it, it, to your point, the event of launching our schedule has turned into so much more than that. And This year, uh, the concept that we ran with was effectively creating a pop-up South by Southwest type conference for soccer and creating three days of uh, content filled with soccer influencers, European football legends, American stars. We had the 94 
and the 99 men's and women's World Cup teams, obviously the women's team that won the gold that you mentioned um, and won the World Cup uh, in 99. We had a number of legends from uh, Vieri to uh, Trezeguet to some of the other guys you've men- mentioned. Obviously, Sudeikis uh, did the schedule announcement with Charlie. And then we also had a fan component where we did a, uh, an actual merchandise collab with Daniel Arsham, a world-renowned contemporary artist in his firm, Snarkitecture, who actually designed the actual uh, retail location itself. So it created um, almost a thought leadership moment for soccer in America and, and bringing the international game to the States, as well as giving a moment to uh, allow fans to connect with it. So from that to the actual tournament itself, there's been a huge evolution. Um, we have 12 of the biggest teams in the world participating across 18 cities in USA, uh, Europe, and Asia, predominantly U.S. and, and, and Asia. Um, and those are the two markets that we're really looking to grow the sport. Obviously, it's the biggest sport in the world with the biggest clubs and the biggest stars but it's not as well established in the U S and in Asia. And there's a huge opportunity for growth. Um, you know, just to give you an idea, we've had, you know, about 5 million of fans that have attended ICC matches in the last six years. We've reached about 150 million viewers worldwide. Um, and we continue to expand our distribution. We just extended our deal with ESPN. Um, so we're really, really excited. Um, Three more years, uh, with ESPN. I think I just read. Correct. Three more years with ESPN. And then we also did an ESPN deal for three years with our women's tournament, uh, as well as our futures event, which is very similar to Little League World Series for baseball, but we created for soccer. So um, we're excited about the expansion of some of our new properties as well. And, you know, and every year we look for first, whether it's, the you know, trying to have the biggest games or most attended games in America at the big house, or it's bringing out Classico for the first time or Manchester Derby for the first time. Uh, in the North American territory. This year, we've got the Madrid Derby with Atletico meeting Real Madrid. We've got the rivalry between Simeone and Ziza, uh, Zizan. Um, and so we're really excited about that. Right. You're mentioning the Madrid Derby, which is actually going to be around here, MetLife Stadium on Friday, yep. July tw- 26th. So that's kind of the highlight match. But Juventus is coming. Spurs are coming. Arsenal. You mentioned Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. Um, Year by year, this is the seventh year, if, if I'm correct, of the right. ICC. It seems like year by year it's grown. And just speaking from my personal experience, like I started, I think the ICC has evolved from the World Football Challenge. And then prior to that, it was called something else like Champions World or something. So in 2004 at Giant Stadium, but this is before MetLife, I went to see AC Milan and Manchester United. Uh, and then in 2012, I saw Liverpool and Roma at Fenway. I saw Arsenal when they came to Red Bull Arena, I think in 2014. Um, year by year, though, it seems like the the tournament is getting not only bigger names, bigger teams, but is just also growing commercially and in significance. I mean, I guess ultimately the goal is to make the ICC kind of like a tentpole summer event. Is that accurate? Correct. And we And we look at properties like... X Games or the the old Skins match that was around for 20 plus years in in golf as great inspirational properties for what we want to create. Um, Obviously, you know, we're always looking at how do we continue to build the commercial viability so that we can engage partnerships with brands to really tell our story. Um, How do we engage the players in a better capacity? 
Um, we've tried different formats at the beginning of the International Champions Cup uh, formation or development six, seven years ago, and, and we've got a great format now that um, really works for all the clubs in terms of um, the actual scheduling process is mirroring what the domestic leagues look like in terms of a point system, and we'll continue to to evolve from there. But I think we've had a lot of tailwinds. You know, the growth of the distribution of international soccer um, in America and in Asia are are going along with the growth of the ICC and the fact that um, you know it's 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 so much easier to watch the games on, on Saturdays and Sundays or champions league during the week, whether it's Turner or NBC or BN or ESPN, they've all done such great jobs marketing the sport and marketing the international game. And, um, you know, the reality is Americans are, you know, we're a little bit arrogant in that we think, you know, if we win a championship, whether it's a world series, a Stanley cup, a super bowl or an NBA championship, we're the best in the world. But, as it relates to soccer, we are not the best in the world in terms of homegrown. So, you know, our job is to really deliver the best of the world, uh, the best the world has to offer in soccer to America. And, right. you know, if you're you're the best internationally, um, it's coming from Europe. And, you know, the teams that are part of UEFA and a part of the domestic leagues um, in, in Europe. So our job is to continue to deliver world-class athletes, iconic clubs, and these mythical like stories of, of the European football world, um, as well as the international game this year, we've got Chivas and they've got an amazing story from Mexico, um, in terms of what they've done internationally. So it's, it's, it's our job to continue to be a steward and to continue to storytell for American fans, um, what that means and then bring them experience where they can actually participate, um, and be active in, um, the actual games themselves. Is that can you actually play the ICC in in FIFA video game? Uh, there are modes in Pro Evolution Soccer. Our partnerships with Konami actually, um, oh, okay, gotcha. Where we can uh, enter ICC mode. So we're always looking at ways to look at esports, obviously, which is a whole other topic in itself. In terms of you know really playing on the excitement of of soccer in America and and giving. Uh, kids and fans across the country an opportunity to, to play with the European clubs or international teams in American venues or in Asian venues. Right. So there is an actual trophy awarded, right? At the Correct. end of the ICC, right? Because like you mentioned, there's like a point system and groups and what have you. Now, like, cri- cr- critics or skeptics of these types of tournaments are always going to say that the stakes are low, uh, the teams are bringing out their B lineups, it's overpriced, this sort of thing. Do you find yourself having to combat that kind of skepticism? Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's the reality of the boulder we've been pushing up the hill the last seven years since the ICC was formed, and I think it's something that we always plan for. The reality is we've had 110,000 fans for multiple matches at the big house, specifically Man United and Real Madrid being the biggest game in American history. Um, we've had El Clasico, which was the highest-grossing soccer match in recorded history across the world. Um, we we've, we've only have a seven-year-old tournament. Um, and right. in seven years, we've become a fixture on the soccer calendar during the summer for international teams. We had over 20 teams contact us this year to be a part of the ICC. As I mentioned, we reach over 170 million viewers every year. We have 5 million fans that have attended. Um, and we've got winners every year from Champions League, Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, Bundesliga, League One. Um, so in terms of the quality of the competition, 
the quality of, of the clubs that we have as a part of it, as well as the stars that we bring to the States and to Asia. And the, the attendance and viewership, to me, speaks for itself in terms of fans are demanding European and international football, and we're delivering that to them. Um, and I think, you know, again, as, as I mentioned, the X Games was never sanctioned by the IOC. It never meant anything. You could say the X Games every year is a, a friendly or it's an exhibition. But if you ask an action sports fan about the X Games or you ask Sean White about the X Games, it means a lot to both the fans and the participating pro athletes. Or you right. ask a, a PGA Tour player about the Skins match when it ran for 20 plus years. It was never a real PGA event. Yet the players took it seriously. The fans showed up, and the commercial partners and media partners bought the the sponsorship and and media packages. So I think yeah. the precedent set that we don't need to be a, a FIFA sanctioned event to matter to fans, which is most important, or to matter to the clubs. And the reality is, these clubs um, are continuing to draw uh, an interest in the American market as well as Asia, you know, just alone, the top six leagues in Europe or the top five domestic leagues and champions league being the six are over half a billion dollars in media, just in the American markets. So, um, just tells you the interest in, in international or European football specifically. Um, and, and we're delivering it. So the answer is, um, I think the attendance and viewership numbers that we've had prove that there's a demand and that this is seen as more than a friendly tournament. And I think that the club demand to participate speaks to their interest for this to be really a fixture in their calendar and to be the first piece of hardware that they can win during the season. Um, and finally, I think there's great precedent set with X games and uh, with, with the skins match. And there's other tournaments out there, other properties out there that were not sanctioned that took years, but really built up credibility with the fans and media partners that the events mattered um, to the, to the players and, and to those attending. So we're working on that and we're continuing to evolve. And that's on, on us to continue to deliver events like El Clasico in Miami, like Manchester Derby, like yep. we did in 2017 in Houston, or this year, the Madrid Derby, which I can't explain to you how big of a matchup that is. And, you know, yep. um, uh, Zidane and Simeone taking each other on and not only as players, but now as managers. So, um, you know, I could go on and on and, but, but this is a topic we're focused on and it's on us to continue to deliver historic events in, in America and in Asia. Yeah. I'll say two things to that. One also this year, not being a world cup year will probably improve the lineups at least, or the people that participate. Correct. And then the other thing is I mentioned going to that Liverpool Roma match years ago. Uh, it's also an opportunity for f- hardcore fans of these teams. If your favorite player might not be in the lineup, it's an opportunity to see the young talent. Because I remember, I'm not a Liverpool fan, but when I watched Liverpool-Roma, Raheem Sterling, it was one of his first matches. He was a teenager and he was just lighting it up. And uh, it's it was kind of a cool chance to see him, you know, like in his unfinished form uh, debuting. Um, yeah. You know, and in, in just a second, that it's funny. Pep, Pep last year with City said, you know, it's, it's interesting. One, historically with the ICC, other than World Cup years, we've never had a challenge with players. And the reality is, football is is international football is different than American sports in that there's so many different competitions and right. tournaments. You know, Klopp was was criticized last year with Liverpool for not bringing players to the FA Cup. Um, so it's 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 a little bit different to the American audience, but it's natural for European football. 
than in right. years where they have tons of competition, like World Cup, there's challenges. But historically in the ICC, we've never had issues. Um, we've never had issues with that, and we, we won't this year. But to your point, Pep, as I started to say last year, he, he started to say to the media, I don't think you guys understand what you're seeing. And one of the media members, I, I forget where it was from, said, what do you mean? And, and Pep's point was, you're seeing the future evolution of, of European football first. You guys are the first audience to ever get to see some of the greatest players in the world take the pitch and and really get the chance to, to have high-level competition with the biggest clubs in the world before the European calendar starts um, back over on their home turf. So it's, to your point, an amazing opportunity to see the rising stars as they begin their careers also. Right. Uh, you mentioned El Clasico, uh, which is, of course, the Real Madrid-Barcelona rivalry. Uh, it was reported last year that potentially there would be an El Clasico or at least a La Liga regular season match. Speaking of stakes, an actual competitive match on American soil for the first time ever. And that was going to be a relevant sports production. Am I right? Correct. One, I'd tell you that we we, we have actual competitive matches in the ICC, but... Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm in as opposed that. to a friendly. As opposed to a friendly. No, I'm just joking. I'm just yeah, joking. But, um, but like an actual regular and, season match is the better way uh, to yeah, describe it. It'll be it. the first. La Liga is working to bring the first official league match to America, and for us, it's, it's yeah, why didn't it happen? Why didn't it happen last year after it was kind of strongly rumored to to it, happen? It didn't happen because the the match process took longer than expected. And we had to, we had to postpone the effort because there wouldn't have been a time to promote it and to have it come off and well-produced in the way that we needed to, based on some of the hurdles politically um, process wise that we needed to get over. And for us, it's not a matter of if it's when, um, right. and so we're when gonna, we're go- and for us, our goal would be to do it in the 2019-20 season. We have every intention with La Liga of getting the match off this year. We've started much earlier in the process, having learned that we didn't have enough time in the 18-19 season um, in terms of process to get the game approved. And obviously, there's a number of governing bodies that have to approve it. We always expected we would have headwinds in terms of you're bringing a, a, an American mindset, which is we have exported all of our sports, basketball, baseball, um, football, uh, and hockey across international territories. Um, but for European football, it's a traditional game, traditional fan bases. The sport means so much to the communities. We've got to be respectful of the fans over there and respectful of the process. So we have every intention it will happen this year. Um, we've heard rumblings of Champions League finals and other matches of that magnitude being brought to the States, and we're always uh, working on, on trying to help that. Uh, and, and we expect that there will be a match this year. That's amazing. Um, now, just to rewind real quickly about your past, um, Relevant Sports is under the umbrella of RSE Ventures. Am I, am I correct. correct there? Which is... Correct. Uh, the fund run by Stephen Ross, who's the owner of the Dolphins? Correct. Right. So I read in a bio, I think it was in the New York Business Journal about you, where it said that your relationship with Stephen Ross and eventual role with Relevant all started from a cold email. Is that accurate? Yeah. That's that amazing. So so you basically just got Stephen Ross's email and said it, and you were in, at Michigan at the time or were you had had you graduated? No, so I graduated. I started a family office for professional athletes. So I 
vertically integrated accounting, tax, estate planning, investment, insurance planning, all of the financial services to take care of a business that an athlete needed to do. And I, I felt that was a unique model in sports. And it was something that Stephen or other wealthy entrepreneurs would set up for themselves. But for whatever reason, athletes weren't engaging the right financial team in terms of, of fully integrating their their team of professionals together. Um, so I started a business. I worked with 30 athletes and I literally emailed S Ross at related.com, Steven at related.com, Steve Ross at related. I, I emailed <laughs> probably seven different emails that I thought could be the right combination of Steve Ross's email and said, <laughs> I went to Ross school of business. I explained to him what, what my previous company was that I had founded in sports. And I asked just to pick his brain and uh, fortunately, I, I got an email back in about eight minutes, um, wow. which I've saved that email. And I got an opportunity to meet Steve. Um, we met subsequently a number of different times over that year. Um, and he convinced me to sell my business and come run business development and M&A at RSC Ventures, which is a sports media and entertainment investment fund founded by Steve and Matt Higgins. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sold my business to a group uh, that was acquired by KPMG. Um, and I moved over to RSE Ventures, which ultimately was the, the founding investor and owner of Relevant Sports. So I stayed at RSE Ventures for a few years and then ended up coming to run RSC, or excuse me, ended up coming to run Relevant um, when I wanted to look for another operating opportunity. But yeah, it all, it all started over a cold email. And, and you're still under 30, am I right? 29? I'm 30. Just turned 30. Oh, 30. 30. Uh, joining the club, joining the over 30 club. Well, that's an amazing story. And it's a lesson to all you kids out there to shoot your shot because you went from a cold email to the CEO of Relevant Sports, which is amazing. I made a, uh, I made a lot of friends over cold emails. I think I, I have some of my closest friends over cold emails. You should try to hit up Rihanna or something. Um, yeah, exactly. Where, we should <laughs> Where can uh, uh, tickets I saw for the Madrid Derby already on sale? Are tickets for all of these uh, ICC games on sale yet or? Yes, all the ICC games are on sale as of yesterday. Um, okay. The Madrid Derby started last Friday um, and available through the internationalchampionscup.com, uh, which will be selling tickets through Ticketmaster as well as SeatGeek. Um, so we're, we're available and on sale. Great. Well, thank you for your time, Daniel. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate you having me on, Donnie. Okay, take care. 